Good evening, everybody, and uh, I'd like to welcome everyone to our uh, midweek devotional time. Uh, we're going to be studying tonight from John chapter 15, so if you would go ahead and turn over to that place, and uh, we'll give everybody a chance to get in and get settled and uh, be uh, joining in on the, the live stream or on Facebook or however you're accessing our, our uh, lesson tonight. It's good to be with you tonight. Uh, I have uh, a rather small audience here in the building. Uh, Richard Forrester is here with me. Uh, but uh, appreciate that I know that there are a lot more who are watching and listening uh, in other formats. So uh, looking forward to what we're going to talk about tonight, and uh, hopefully what we're going to address tonight is going to dovetail with some of the things that we've been covering about uh, uh, during this time about uh, spiritual growth and uh, the, the sort of the nuts and bolts of how we can grow stronger in Christ as we've been trying to take some of this time that we've had that's sort of an abnormal time and uh, use it for good, use it for our, our spiritual growth. So I'm going to begin just by reading here John 15 and verse 1. Jesus says in John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And you might be familiar with, or you might recognize as soon as he says something like this, that Jesus often uses I am terms, and he will identify himself and compare himself to some essential part of life. So he'll say things like, I am the light of the world, or I am the bread of life, or I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when he does that, every time he does that, he says something essential about himself. Here's who I am. And that I am always has an extremely relevant application to us. So when Jesus tells us about himself, he also tells us about us. So if Jesus is the good shepherd, then we are sheep. And here, if Jesus is the vine and his father is the vine dresser, then we are, verse 5, the branches. So he tells us to picture a grapevine, and he says, you need to know about yourself that you are a branch. And I want us to think about what that teaches us tonight. And you might ask the question, well, okay, so I'm a branch. Jesus calls me a branch. Why does that matter? Why would I spend time thinking about this picture? Well, I want to ask you a few questions before we just uh, jump into that. Do you ever feel like uh, you're trying to become a better person, and you keep pouring more and more effort into that? And then sometimes you look at what you've done and you feel like you're not getting anywhere. Do you ever have that feeling, this text will help you? Or do you ever wonder if you're spreading yourself too thin? You have too many balls in the air, too many irons in the fire. This text will help you. Do you ever wonder why it seems that sometimes things just fall apart on you, just don't work on you, even things that you know are good just don't seem to pan out? If so, this text will help you. So you are a branch. And I want to explore what that means for us tonight. Now, the context for this section in John 15 is that this is part of Jesus' long discourse on the night before he is going to die. And much of this teaching in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 has this last words kind of feel to it. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time when he's no longer with them. And what's interesting is here he's going to say some things about discipleship after he's gone which means that he expects them to understand there will be a time when this relationship continues even though the master is gone. They will still be disciples even though he is physically absent. So what does he say about that, and how does this picture of a vine and branches help us? Well, first of all, if you are a branch, that means that you need to bear fruit. So verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So this is pretty simple and straightforward. If you are a branch, 
your job, your purpose, who you are, what you do is to bear fruit. And a vine dresser, he says, speaking of the father as the vine dresser, his whole goal in examining his vine, I've got a little picture of a vine up here, and his whole goal as he looks through the vine is to say, is this vine producing the fruit? And if it's not, he's going to get rid of it. And if it is, he's going to work on it so that it bears more fruit. His whole goal is to make sure the vine produces the fruit it should produce. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So when branches are not connected to the vine, when they're sort of disconnected, they're on their own, they're not going to do any good because they're not going to bear any fruit. He says specifically in verse 5, apart from me, you could do nothing. So they wither, they're gathered, they're taken away, they're thrown into the fire, they're burned because if you are a branch, you have one job. Your job is to bear fruit, to connect to the vine so that you can produce the fruit that is your job. Verse 8 Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So this is how we glorify the Father. He lives in us and through us produces the fruit he wants to produce. What is fruit then? I mean, that's kind of an abstract picture. We get the concept of a grapevine bearing fruit. But fruit in this context, in this idea is actions that stem from our connection to Jesus. So they're actions of obedience, or they're actions of love, or they're actions of faith. They're actions of a changed life. Something that we do that is different because Jesus is at work in us. That's the fruit. And Jesus is saying, that's the whole goal. You stay connected to me so that you bear the fruit God wants you to bear. Now, this idea of God's people bearing fruit for him is woven through the scriptures. In the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah 5 is where this is found. In the Old Testament, God is pictured as finding a place and clearing out all the rocks, making room for a vineyard, planting the vineyard, tending the vineyard, investing himself. And then, after he builds a watchtower and provides a perfect situation for this grapevine, it yields wild grapes that are useless instead of the good grapes that he wanted. And so in that picture, he says, that's Judah. That's my people. I have invested so much in them. I come to get the fruit of my investment. I come to see that they're producing what I wanted them to produce, and instead I am disappointed. When John the Baptist comes, he tells the Pharisees, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Jesus tells a story about vine dressers where a man who owns the vineyard keeps sending servants to the vine dressers to get the fruit of the vineyard. And they treat the servants cruelly and then ultimately they kill the son. And so the promise of the master is he's going to come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Jesus tells a story. I'm just saying it's over and over again. Jesus tells another story. This is Luke 13 about a man who plants a fig tree. And he comes year after year and he finds no figs on the fig tree. What good is a fig tree if there are no figs? And so he asks the question, what good is this tree? Why does it use up the ground? Cut it down. And the man who he's talking to pleads with him, let me work on it and fertilize it so maybe next year it'll produce fruit. The whole idea, though, is 
I want the fruit. And God is pictured as the one who is expecting there to be a result from what he is doing for us. God is investing in us. He is showing his love. He's revealing his will. He's empowering us. He's teaching us. He's guiding us. He's patient with us. And at some point, he begins to ask, what is happening with all that I'm giving and all that I'm doing? What's the result? What's the fruit? Why are my people not responding to me? And that is why in verse 8 here, Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. If you are a branch, this is what is expected of you. In fact, I would go so far as to say that Scripture teaches this is our purpose. Just like a branch has really one major purpose, which is to be a conduit between the vine to produce the fruit. In the same way, this is what Paul says in Romans 7 and verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So the whole point of this whole transition, excuse me, where he talks about having died to the law, belong to another, is kind of the picture of, of being married, and then the, you're a widow, and then you're remarried. And so we're remarried to Christ in order that we may bear fruit for God. The whole point is so we can bear fruit for God. And Paul says this in Colossians 1, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there is always this life of obedience that is shown that God is at work in you because you keep living for him and making choices that honor him. You need to bear fruit. That means that there should always be behaviors, words that demonstrate the faith that we have in God. And if a long time passes where we don't have any actions or words, treatment of others that reflects that Jesus is alive in us, we have to begin to question, well, what's going wrong here? Something is not right. And Jesus says, there's a sharp warning here. If every branch that doesn't bear fruit is taken away. So what Jesus is saying when he says you need to bear fruit is a contrast to what our world tells us. Our world tells us that Christianity is a belief set. That you, when you become a Christian, you accept that these things are true. And that that's what it means to be a Christian. You have certain beliefs and really, it's just an intellectual thing. Now you've come to believe different things than you believed before. But the point, the goal of our lives, of Christianity itself, our whole purpose is to glorify God by demonstrating in the fruit of our changed lives that he is working in us. So let me be even clearer and be even more specific. That's going to mean that I take opportunities to resist temptation, that I sacrifice my will for other people. I let them win the argument. I let them have their way and demonstrate meekness by that. I've got to show love and respect for the people in my home because Jesus has taught me to love and respect others. I'm going to care about lost people and I'm going to try to talk to them about Jesus and share the good news of Jesus' love with them because Jesus has taught me to be aware of them and care for them and to see the fields white for harvest around me. I'm going to grow closer to the character of Jesus. In fact, part of that in my view is the fact that I'm going to always have some area of my life I'm trying to work on so that I can get it more in line with what I see in Christ. There will be fruit. You look at my life, you can say, 
Something is happening there because he is trying to live for Jesus. But I want to be careful here because there is a danger that we'll think about a point like that and Jesus worrying about fruit. And what we'll take from that is what I don't believe he intends. What we'll take from that is, oh no, we've got to get to work. You know, we better try harder, do better, do more, be good. And I want to show you that there is more in this picture than just effort. This is not about you're just not doing enough. And I want to show you how the picture of being a branch connected to the vine helps with that. So the second thing I want to say here is you need to be connected to the vine. If you are a branch, your only hope for worth, your only hope for productivity is to be connected to the life-giving vine. We have to be connected to Jesus. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I thought about just bringing tonight a branch. You know, we, we have some thing, branches that we've cut up in our yard, trees that we don't need the branches on. And so, you know, I thought about bringing a branch and no matter how long you hold on to a branch, that branch is not going to do anything of itself unless that branch is connected to a root system, unless that branch has some life connected to it. It's just a branch. It's worthless. He says, you're the branches. That's what you're like. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it's connected to the vine, so you can't do anything unless you abide in me. He says specifically in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he also says in verse 5, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So if we abide in him, and abide is a word, it's a very interesting word. Yes, it means to live. But even, you know, the connotation of the word abide is more permanent than just to live. Abide has a continual sense to it. And that abiding is mutual. He says, you live in me and I live in you. We live in each other. So right now, I am sure that somebody is listening to this and getting frustrated by the figurative language and asking the question, okay, great, we got to be connected to Jesus. It's like a vine in the branches. What does that mean? The good news is Jesus helps us with some more clarity in that. Look in verse 7. In John 15 and 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So here he says, it's not just me abiding in you, but my words abide in you. So now we have some clarity because part of how Jesus abides in us is by us giving careful attention to his words. So his words abiding in us means far more than that we sometimes read them or we kind of generally know some of the things Jesus said. There is a depth and a dynamic liveliness to what he is saying that you are living in me and my words are living in you. He also talks about, if you're wondering what it means to be connected to the vine, part of it is his words and part of it is obedience to those words. Look in verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Well, how do we do that, Jesus? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, but what commandments are you talking about, Jesus? Well, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you see how there's kind of a connection from one verse to the next where he is explaining what he means. You stay connected to me because my words are abiding in you and then my words are being lived out in your life. 
So now you're around other people and you're treating them with love like I have loved you. Jesus talks like this a lot. You need me. In fact, I talked about the I am statements. Very many of those I am statements have a life element to them, like the vine and the branches, or like the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the bread of life. He talks about I am the resurrection and the life. There are so many of these that have life involved in them because what he's trying to say is you need me as the source of the good things in your life. So he says things like in John 6 that if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will abide in me and I in you. Same idea. Now eat the flesh and drink the blood. We probably need another lesson for that one. But it's the same basic idea of being connected to Jesus by taking in his word and his example. Look uh, just back a page here in John 14 and verse 20. John 14 and 20, he says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So again, you have the words, you have the obedience, and then you have a relationship, a a connection, an indwelling that comes from that. So we've done all that textual work. What What does all this mean? When Jesus talks about, you're a branch and you need me, you need to be connected to me. I believe that the essential truth here, and please listen to me because this is important, Jesus is teaching us that the answers and the strength and the life we need are not within us. We do not have them on our own. The sooner we acknowledge that, the better. The things we need, the answers, the strength, the life we need are in him, not in us. We are just branches. And that's a bit countercultural these days. In part because... A lot of Americans have kind of taken to the Eastern religion, Buddhist particularly, philosophy, that we should really focus our attention on ourselves and discovering ourselves, that the truth is somewhere within ourselves. If we just come to know ourselves better, if we just learn to accept ourselves better, we come to peace, which is a Buddhist notion. It's countercultural because Americans are told that we need to find our own truth. You know, you figure out what works for you, what you like, what makes sense to you, you need to decide what matters to you. That your goal in life is to uncover the unhappiness in your psyche and address it, and then you can be at peace and you can finally be happy. You need to help you. Only you can set you free. You need to seize your own destiny. You need to follow your dreams. Follow your heart. You know best what's best for you. And all of these ideas hinge on the idea that I have the strength and the answers, and the life. Maybe it's dormant inside me, but it's in there somewhere. And for most people in our time, the great crisis of their lives is trying to find themselves. I just want to say emphatically, that is not what Jesus teaches. Jesus says, you don't have the answers, and that without him, you can do nothing. You are a branch, and branches are worthless unless they're connected to the vine. They must be brought to life By that connection, they must be made into what they need to be. And that is also very practical. 
Because it means that I need Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching is not a uh, take it or leave it. It's pretty nice. You know, you can put it on a Hallmark card and it'll sound pretty good to people. I need it because it gives me the knowledge and the strength and the life that I need. So I need it as I begin my day and as I end my day. I need to do more when I begin my day than just ask myself, am I happy? How do I feel? I need to take in something that is going to renew me and strengthen me. I need his words in my mouth and in my heart, and I need them to come out in my life. And when we start to think about Jesus in terms of his words, I want you to notice how we tap into a very strong vein of biblical thought. This is a passage we're going to cover in a couple of days in our our, um, daily devotionals. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6, he says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. These are words that have become a part of our hearts. These words, he says, shall be on your heart. Let them live in you. That is, it's not casual. It's not about, you know, we're going to do an intellectual study. Let them be on your heart and a part of the way you think so that then you can talk to your kids and talk about them in the everyday stages of life where you don't have to say, let's stop everything, open the Bible, and remember what God said. Instead, it's there on your heart. Let my words abide in you, Jesus says. Psalm 119 and verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David sees a power in having God's word internalized so that then he can know what God wants in any situation so that he doesn't end up sinning. And the one that is most powerful to me is Colossians 3.16 where Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it abide in you. This is not about studying the Bible so that we can beat somebody in a game of religious chess. You know, I can out-argue you about some Bible topic. This is about letting God's word transform us. We need him and we need his word. But what that means practically is that we're going to let that word dwell richly in us because we are going to pay conscious attention to Jesus and his words. And we're going to do that as often as possible, at least daily, because we need his life, we need his perspective, we need that connection daily. This is essential to fulfilling our purpose. Our purpose is to bear fruit, and we cannot survive without that connection. We are merely branches. And I cannot emphasize enough that that attention to Jesus' words is a regular discipline, not because we want to check the box on our Bible reading sheet, because we need his perspective. We need to see the world through the lenses of Jesus' words. How does a Jesus disciple look at politics? How does a Jesus disciple look at work? How does a Jesus disciple look at sleep or look at family or look at the environment or look at poverty or look at free time or look at any of the issues that we're going to encounter on a daily basis? 
We need Jesus' perspective so we know how we should think about the things that we deal with day in and day out. And here is what I want to emphasize too. That is how fruit happens. Fruit does not happen just because we put more and more effort into things. That the people who bear the most fruit are those who are trying the hardest. The people who bear fruit, according to Jesus' picture, are the ones who drink in his word and let it dwell in them richly, and then inevitably it flows out. Did you notice in this passage that as the word of Christ dwells in us richly, it then comes out? We teach and admonish, we sing, and we have thankfulness in our hearts. There are things that now become outgrowths. We sing, we teach out of our overflow. What Christ has put into us now comes out of us. So we say what our hearts are focused on. Jesus' words affect our minds. Our minds affect our actions. And as you think more and more about Jesus wants you to do what Jesus wants you to do and to be, your life begins to change. So it's not so much about adding more and more things. Instead, it's more about reserving more and more time for Jesus, even if other things have to be neglected. Not more effort, but more effort to fixate on Jesus and let his words and his ways live in us and then come out of us. You are a branch. You need to bear fruit. You need to be connected to the vine. The third thing I want to say here is that you need to be pruned. You need to be pruned. In John 15 and verse 2, John 15 and verse 2, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Are you impressed with how the vine dresser looks at every branch? Because he says there's really just two options. If you don't bear fruit, he's going to get rid of you. If you do bear fruit, he's going to prune you. He will do what it takes to increase the yield of the crop. That's the goal. So pruning is the process of cutting back. And you cut back the branches at certain points with the expertise of the man who's vine dresser. You cut back in order to produce more. And that's why he says he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So have you ever wondered what it means when Jesus says God will prune us so that we will bear more fruit? I read some uh, thoughts on this that suggested that what he means here is other people who don't bear fruit, he's going to remove. So the pruning has to do with people who are no longer obedient and uh, he's kind of clearing the way by getting rid of them or severing that relationship. I don't think that's the picture because what he says in verse 2 is the pruning is reserved for those who do bear fruit. This is not about people who do not bear fruit. What pruning means is that there will be things in our lives that will need to be removed to make us more capable of bearing fruit. And God is going to do the work of refining us and pushing us and improving us and sharpening us He wants us to be the best branch that we can be, and he will make us into that if we let him. So I understand that it is not stated in verse 2, but I believe it is implied in this, that there may be thoughts and people and places and situations, character traits, things in our lives that are not most beneficial to bearing fruit, not conducive to it. And so God is willing to cut those things out. And the thing about pruning, if you're the branch, it's painful. There is a cutting back. There's a removal. And yet, ultimately, it is for your good. You produce more because of that work. 
and it will be worth it. So the focus is on the idea that as we abide in the vine, the better we get as God continues his work in us. And sometimes there are going to be things that are painful in the process. As he works on us and eliminates things and removes things and sharpens us to get stronger and other things seem to fall to the wayside because we grow and learn and know our purpose as we get stronger. It may be that as we grow in Christ, we feel some of the pain of that and we struggle and we wrestle Maybe it's that you work hard to grow in one particular area of your life, a sin that you struggle with or a temptation or a tendency that you have, and you work and you focus and you drink in God's word and slowly over time you see growth. And there is a hard process in that. And then what happens is once you climb that mountain, there are new temptations and new flaws and new work to be done, and suddenly there is pain in that. It is harder, but we're better prepared, and we do more and we grow. God is at work. Throughout this text, and the idea of pruning, throughout this text, the thought in the background is that abiding in the vine is always a choice we make. That we either bear fruit or we don't. We either abide in the vine or we don't. And sometimes we choose not to abide in the vine. We choose to get distracted. We get worried or we get tired or we get discouraged. And sometimes, even in those episodes, we're mad at God because we may have been disappointed or discouraged because of something God took away. I think we experienced some of that even uh, in these past couple of months where a lot has been taken away from us that's not really essential in some cases, and yet, and yet we're frustrated. Is it possible that he is pruning us, removing things that we value highly because They're keeping us from bearing the fruit he wants us to bear. But one thing we can know for sure is that God's pruning is an act of love and an act of growth for us so that we can be more of what he calls us to be and fulfill our purpose. So you are a branch. You need to bear fruit. You need to be connected to the vine. And you need to be pruned. What good is it to be a vine? To be a branch, I'm sorry. What good is it to be a branch? There's actually a lot here in the text. That is the blessings of if we allow God to work in us and through us in this way. We've already talked about the idea of fulfilling our purpose, bearing fruit. But did you notice in verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That as we are a branch connected to the vine, we have the right to approach God in prayer on the basis of that connection. And as we fill ourselves with his will, God supports us and blesses us. In verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So we know that our lives bring glory to God. We have that blessing. In verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It is a life of great joy to know that you are being used by God to bring glory to him and to do his work, to do good for him. We have perspective and vision and hope. I asked some questions at the beginning. I said, do you ever feel like you try to become a better person and you just keep pouring more and more effort into that and feel like you're not getting anywhere? It may be that if that's the case, you're doing things outside of Jesus. Are you connecting to and focusing on Jesus or are you focusing on your own effort? 
Are you focusing on the thoughts and words of men? One of those paths is going to lead to you going more and more and more and getting less and less progress. But Jesus will fill us with what we need. I ask, do you ever wonder if you're spreading yourself too thin? You need to reset on what matters. And I want to stress, this, is, this process that we're talking about is not about adding more things to our to-do list. It's not about, I need one more voice or one more book or one more podcast. It's about the one thing that truly matters. You remember how Jesus said to Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good part. There is one thing that is the focus of the life of the disciple. And while we can work on lots of things and we can put effort into lots of things, always the one thing comes first. We seek first the kingdom. The one thing is truly essential. So it may be that we're focused too much on things that are important, but not as important as the things of the Lord. I also asked, do you ever wonder why it seems like things just sometimes fall apart, just don't work? Those situations, it may be that something is interrupting your connection to Jesus. It could be there's something that needs to be pruned, taken away, or it could be that God has pruned something, and there is a frustration in that. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And I love that because he tells us who he is, and he tells us who we are. I hope that you'll ask yourselves this question tonight. Are you living in him? And are his words living in you? Let's pray about that, and we'll be done for our time tonight. Oh God, our Father, we thank you so much. You have blessed us so richly. It is hard for us, Father, to fathom that you would be willing to, to deal with us, to save us from our sins, and to love us as we are. And yet, Father, you also love us so much that you want to change us and make us into the man and woman that you want us to be. Father, we're thankful for your work and your patience. And we're thankful, Father, that you are willing to let us bear fruit for you. Father, as we think about that relationship, sometimes we, we want to serve you and we want to do right, but we don't know exactly how. And sometimes it's hard, Father, for us to trust that this process of focusing on Jesus and his words and, and doing simple obedience is enough. And sometimes, Father, we feel like there is so much more that we could do and must do. I pray that you'll help us to trust you and to trust your word. I pray that you'll help us to have the patience to let your word dwell in us richly and bear its fruit. I pray that you'll help us to be strengthened not with our own power, but with that that comes from you, that will be strengthened through your spirit in the inner man, that we'll have what we need to accomplish the tasks that we have and to bring glory to you. Father, I pray for our family here as we are separated by distance, and yet, Father, we are one in spirit, as we study together, as we think together, as we pray together, as we serve you together, help us to continue to be united and strong, to be thoughtful of one another, to continue to encourage one another. And Father, I pray that you'll bless our leaders, both of our nation and of our congregation, as they make decisions to help us to know what should come next in this crisis. I pray that you'll give them wisdom and help us to be supportive as we know that these are 
our rulers and leaders that you have given us for our own best interest and our own good. Father, we pray that you'll go with us as we part ways tonight. Continue to watch over us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.